Welcome back to the Shepherd Psalm, where we have been digging into Psalm 23. And we've been using as our guide W. Philip Keller's book, A Shepherd Looks at Psalm 23. I highly recommend this book. If you have not read it, we are just scratching the surface on what Keller uh, is talking about, the insights that he provides, as well as the other books that Keller has written, and, and specifically W. Philip Keller. There's another guy, Tim Keller, good stuff there uh, in a lot of ways, but um, but W. Philip Keller's book and this one and other books are really, really insightful and encouraging. So we encourage you, grab a copy. You can get it online, an ebook as well as a print copy. Um, it's definitely worth your time to read. It's a short book, short chapters, and they'll definitely bring some new insights into it. And I just encourage you as well, if you've been watching online and you have not uh, gotten out of the house and have not been to church in, in a year or more, uh, I encourage you, take the precautions you need to take. But, you know, there's something to be said about fellowshipping together. And uh, most churches in your area have reopened. Our church certainly has. We do have mask requirements um, to protect those folks that uh, they can't wear masks or, or are susceptible for issues. But uh, we certainly encourage people to worship together when you can. Feel free to spread out. Um, <clears throat> but, um, you know, worshiping online is great when, you, when that's all you can do, but it's no substitute for worshiping as a church family. So when you can safely do it, please rejoin the church family and be a part of it. So grab your Bibles. We're going to read Psalm 23, and then we're going to get started. Psalm 23 says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for His name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So, let's dig in. Now, I got to admit, when I was reading this psalm, uh, a lot of times I was reading it when I was a child, and I would hear this psalm specifically at funerals or at special events. The Lord is my shepherd. I heard it all the time in children's church. And when we got to this line specifically, I had a mental picture of what David must have been referring to because he said that uh, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Well, our table was our dining room table. It's where we ate dinner together as a family. And so in my mind, I had this mental picture of God actually setting a dining room table, chairs, uh, dishes, glasses, the whole nine yards in the middle of a forest. Now, you know, again, this is in my head, okay? So in the middle of a forest, and it was surrounded, this table and myself sitting at this table, we were surrounded by our enemies, by people who didn't like us. And that's the way I interpreted this phrase, uh, gosh, for 
I, I don't know, I guess most of my life, um, just the way I read it. I never interpreted this as a sheep. And I never thought about the table uh, not being a dining room table. I never understood and I didn't know that the table was something that only a shepherd would understand. Now that I've read this book and I understand it from a shepherd's perspective, I've come to understand it in a very different way. As the shepherd is driving the sheep up the mountain, up to higher elevations for the summer months to keep them cool, the table that he is referring to is a mesa, a plateau, a flat place on the mountain or on the path up the mountain where the sheep can safely graze. Now, this can be a challenge to get to. Uh, the shepherd has to work hard to prepare it for, uh, for the sheep before they even arrive. Because as soon as they hit the table, they start grazing. Kind of like Thanksgiving dinner. Um, but as soon as they get to this plateau, they immediately start eating and drinking. And so this table has to be prepared before the sheep can uh, appear, before they can arrive. So in order for the sheep... To be safe, the shepherd must first do this. The shepherd must first remove the weeds. Now, frequently, there are poisonous weeds that must be removed before the sheep arrive. If the shepherd waits too long for, uh, if he doesn't uh, handle this before the sheep arrive, the sheep will start eating these poisonous weeds, uh, and some of them can be absolutely deadly. Uh, Keller mentioned one called white camas, and if a lamb took just a few nibbles of this very inviting-looking weed, it would become paralyzed, uh, completely stiff, and fall over and eventually die. So it takes work picking out all of these weeds from where the sheep will graze. Um, these are enemies that surround the sheep. They're underneath the sheep's feet, and the sheep don't know. Uh, they arrive, and they immediately start to eat. They don't know what will kill them and what won't kill them. And so it is up to the shepherd to prepare the table before uh, the sheep arrive and, and to have the table prepared in the presence or, or with being surrounded by enemies, uh, which is certainly what David is referring to. These are threats to the, self, the health and the safety of the sheep. Now, pastors have just as tedious a task today. On one hand, we have fringe Pentecostal movements, uh, like some churches in California and other places, that have questionable practices and questionable teachings, one of which is Seven Mountain Theology, which is a very... Uh, if you really look into it, it is not a biblical teaching. And quite a few other unbiblical, completely heretical, um, even new age teachings that have gotten into the church, Pentecostal churches. But then when the pendulum swings the other direction, you have people like John MacArthur who reject all moves of the Holy Spirit, who believe that if you speak in tongues, you're speaking through the power of demons, who equates uh, much of the miracles and the work of the Holy Spirit today through Pentecostal churches 
as strange fire that was offered by Aaron's sons in Leviticus 10. So MacArthur occasionally preaches things that I agree with, and some churches in California, Bethel and other churches, uh, occasionally preach and sing songs that I agree with theologically. Uh, But it can be a tremendous challenge to help churchgoers filter out all of the garbage that is being produced on both sides of this issue. We must test and examine everything. Every Christian book, every song, whether it's a worship song or a contemporary Christian music song, whatever genre, if it's if it considers himself if it considers himself itself, sorry, if it is promoted as a Christian thing, um, songs that even we sing in churches, uh, teachings at conferences. I've heard some definitely questionable teaching at conferences. It must be compared to what God's Word says. If it is in disagreement with God's Word, it needs to go. It doesn't matter how popular it is. It doesn't matter the source of it. If it is unbiblical, if it disagrees with the Word of God, it's got to go. If it introduces heresy, error, and in some cases, new age teaching into the church, it needs to go. Uh, Yeah, we might miss out on some things. We might miss out on songs. People are like, oh my gosh, this song is so wonderful. It moves me. That's wonderful. But if it is unbiblical, and if it teaches unbiblical principles, if it uh, devalues and denigrates and and, uh, really just undoes the work of the cross or the work of God in your life or whatever, or if it just introduces things that are just not biblical whatsoever, we have we may have to miss out on some things. We may have to miss out on some popular books, books that are now turned into movies, um, music, uh, but we will cling to that which will not poison us or poison our walk with God. And so if all we have is the Word of God, we can sing songs from the Word of God, and we can certainly engage in biblical understanding and teaching through the Word of the Lord. So the first thing the shepherd does is remove the weeds. Well, the second thing the shepherd does, if he's a good shepherd, he prepares for predators. A good shepherd is looking for signs of predators, signs of wolves and coyotes and bears and other predators that could do significant damage to his flock and to him as well. Keller wrote that many times these predators would plant themselves somewhere hidden to keep an eye on the flock. And as soon as one wanders away or is too sickly or too weak to escape from an attack, wanders too far away from the shepherd, that's when these predators pounce. The only way the sheep will be safe is through an attentive and good shepherd. Now, the tremendous blessing for us is we have an attentive shepherd who knows every single trick of the enemy, every possible trap that he might lay for us, and he provides a way of escape from each one of them. Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 10, 13, No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. 
but with the temptation, he will also provide a way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Now, this scripture is actually where a lot of people get the phrase, God won't give you anything that you can't handle. Well, guess what? That's actually not what Paul is saying, and it's actually not true. God frequently gives you more than you can handle. God gave David more than he could handle in Goliath. God gave uh, Moses more than he could handle than at the Red Sea. God frequently will do that because he doesn't want you to handle it. He wants to handle it. He wants to make a way where there isn't a way. So God will give you more than you can handle. However, Paul is talking about temptation, and he says God will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. You can always say no to temptation. You don't have to give in. He's saying with the temptation, he will provide a way of escape that you may be able to endure it. So the simple truth is that when temptation comes, we don't have to give in. We do give in when we stop listening to the truth of God and we start listening to the enemy's lies. Jesus told Peter that he had prayed for him, that at that moment of greatest testing in Peter's life, Jesus said, I'm praying that your faith won't fail. Now, if you go back to that statement by Jesus, you see that Satan had asked to sift Peter like wheat. Now this is an expression back to an agrarian uh, culture the, where you're, you've got a lot of farmers and they're going to understand what this is a reference to. Uh, farmers would harvest wheat and chaff at the same time and then they would sift out the chaff and leave only the wheat. Satan tried to convince Jesus that Peter was worthless chaff, that Peter would, would not be faithful to Christ that he was a nobody and he wasn't worth God's time. But Jesus knew the truth about Peter. He knew what Peter, the, the, what Peter would accomplish, what Peter had in him, the ability that, that he was endowed with and what Jesus was going to be able to accomplish through Peter and the work of the Holy Spirit in Peter's life. So he prayed for Peter. There is very little that could give you more hope and more comfort to know that your Savior is praying for you so that your faith does not fail. Keller talked about cougars that would attack his sheep at night with great effectiveness. He's, he wrote that in all the years he lost sheep to cougar attacks, he never saw one. They were such skillful hunters they knew how to evade the shepherd. His suggestion is that in applying this spiritually, we should all walk closer to the shepherd. The sheep that stayed close to him were perfectly safe. The cougars didn't bother those sheep. They didn't come close to the shepherd. They only went after the sheep that began to stray. So if we stay close to the good shepherd, the enemy will not be effective in his attacks against us. The third thing the shepherd does to prepare the table is to ensure the water is pure. Now, a good shepherd checks every source of water that the sheep might drink to ensure that it's healthy for them, to ensure that it's free from debris. He might have to create pools so that the sheep can drink enough water. He might actually have to reopen strings to 
streams to provide more water for them. And this is all the preparation he must make for the table to be a place of provision for them in the presence or surrounded by enemies. He must go before the sheep to make these preparations for them. So he can't wait. He, he can't wait to make these preparations when he arrives with the sheep. These preparations need to be in place before the sheep arrive. Likewise, Christ went before us. He made all the preparations necessary for our salvation. He was tempted in every way as we are, and yet he remained without sin. That meant that through the power of the Holy Spirit, we can withstand temptation just like Jesus did. And he can empathize with us because he knows what it's like to be in this frail body. He was a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, is what the scripture tells us. He understands us and he can identify with us in ways we can barely comprehend. Now, a good shepherd's care and provision doesn't mean that the sheep won't experience problems, but how much fewer problems they will experience because of his diligence and faithfulness. And we also have the promise that he, the good shepherd, will never leave our side and never forsake us. It's a it's a triple emphatic. I will never, never, never leave you. I will never, never, never forsake you. In the midst of trials, in the midst of difficulties, in the moments we need God the most, he fights those battles for us. Keller reminded us that the preparation of a good shepherd is lonely and costly work. It takes time and energy to prepare this table. It takes solitude, times where the shepherd is out there alone, tediously working to prepare the place that he wants to take his sheep. This is isolation. This is loneliness, like in Gethsemane, like Jesus enduring the hall of Pilate, like on Calvary. It was no small cost to prepare for us what we now enjoy and what we will enjoy in God's presence. Well, Keller concluded this chapter with these words. He wrote, Part of the mystery and wonder of Calvary, of God's love to us in Christ, is bound up, too, with the deep desire of his heart to have me live on a higher plane. He longs to see me living above the mundane level of common humanity. He is so pleased when I walk in the ways of holiness, of selflessness, of serene contentment in his care, aware of his presence, and enjoying the intimacy of his companionship. To live thus is to live richly. To walk here is to walk with quiet assurance. To feed here is to be replete with good things. To find this tableland is to have found something of my shepherd's love for me. And when Keller writes about intimacy with Christ, is that how you would describe your relationship with God? Is it intimate? Is your life marked with selflessness and holiness? Is it marked with quiet assurance of God's provision and care? 
do you regularly experience the shepherd's love for you? If not, there is no time like the present. Start off with a few moments each day in the Lord's presence and build from there. Just ask the Lord, God, today I give you my time. I give you my day. I give you my life. Lord, guide me and direct me. Put me in the path that you want me to walk in. And I'll be obedient to whatever you ask me to do today. Because I promise you, the time that you spend in intimacy with him is never wasted and never regretted. We only have three more weeks in this series. Next week, we will cover chapter 10. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Thanks for tuning in tonight. We hope that you enjoyed it. Feel free to go back and watch any past episodes. Otherwise, we'll see you next Wednesday when we cover chapter 10. God bless and have a great week.